Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Czar. We are recording. Hello, Mike. Hey, Chet. Uh, I was going to say, how are you? But I already kind of know. Yeah, we always do that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's it's like, we don't mean to actually, I think that our intent always is to come on and just start recording the episode, but then we end up talking to each other for at least 20 minutes. almost yeah. every. Yeah. I need a warm up though. I'm not a, a great speaker as you know. Well, you know, I think you should stop telling yourself that because that's like I that know. old ideology. Every time it's you the, say that, it's like, why are you reiterating what you're so not stupid. anymore? You are a good speaker now. I, yeah, I, I do that. You know, I do that with money as well, man. I'm telling you, I really feel like a big part of why uh, why I struggle with financial problems is because I had it drilled into my head my whole childhood that there's never enough money. There's never enough money. I mean, right, you right. know, as cool as my parents were, they always struggled with money, and that was mm-hmm. always the the energy of the house. There's never enough money, and you yeah. you know, and it's like. I, I, I do it. I notice that I do it now and I, and I totally worry that I'm passing it on to Fritz. So I'm always telling him, mm-hmm. don't listen to me, <laughs> even though I'm complaining yeah. about not do, having any do money. Do as right I now. say, yeah. not as I do the classic cliche statement so of the father to the son. Thank you. For, thank you for pointing that out. I will uh, not say that anymore. Well, you know, I mean, I think the reality is, is we all do it because we all have these, you know, and I, I'm going to use the the cheesy kind of Eastern word right now, but it's fun because it's true anyway, these mantras, you know, yeah. and, and it's the things that we say to ourselves unconsciously that we're always saying to ourselves that motivate our behavior, you know, and it definitely, it affects me. I know it affects you. And we've talked about it kind of ad nauseum because we don't want for that to be a going on, but really the only way to even find a corner hold where you could maybe leverage that a little bit is through self awareness because the more aware you are of your behavior, how you're behaving unconsciously and in what ways you're responding to the circumstances of your changing environment, the more you're able to then understand, Oh, I see what I'm doing right here. And then you're able to kind of take a step back from it. Well, that's one of the, one of the things that, that I sent you that Robert Anton Wilson book, the cosmic trigger. uh, Yeah. It's right back here. I haven't opened the package. It's just in the package still. But that's one of the big things he talks about is I forget what he calls it near neural imprinting maybe. And he's, Basically, and and it's stuff that Timothy Leary used to talk about as well, that you're imprinted at an early age, you know, like the first few years of your life. And you, in order to re, you know, re uh, imprint, you Mm -hmm. have to, you know, do some major work, either like some kind of psychedelic work. That's one of the things, you know, he's saying the psychedelics are so good for is is re imprinting your brain with new, you know, new neural pathways or science is supporting that. Right. right, I mean, that's the reality. Science is supporting that. Yep. But, you know, you know, also meditation and this and that there's ways of of doing self-awareness and consciously doing the mantra. When I think about that, you know, that whole that whole uh, loop-de-doo game that we do, you know, whether we know we're doing it or not. You know, the DMT trip that I had with you broke me of sunglasses. Right. And you know that that happened. And Joy knows that that I mean, it's a thing that happened. Did you say that on the podcast before that? you? Yeah. Yeah. We just a quick overview of the sunglass thing. Yeah. Okay. So just the sunglass part. Yeah. I'll give a little a little dial down. So. I was over at Chet's place for doing work for dystopia and we were hanging out together and I had this DMT experience for the first time. And I really did it the full on experience. Didn't really pussyfoot around. I was pretty gung ho about it. Right. I'm going to have this experience. And it was this incredibly profound experience, but I'm not going to go into the detail, the details of that. I just want to basically get that, that through that this happened. And I was with Chet and it was super profound. The next day we went to the Salton sea, which is super cool too. But anyway, I all of a sudden the next day, in fact, we went to the Salton Sea and I wasn't wearing sunglasses and I like stopped wearing sunglasses. It was the weirdest thing. And I noticed it wasn't like a conscious decision. Like, oh, I'm not going to wear sunglasses anymore. It was like, it was just like, I didn't need them. I don't know. It was the weirdest thing. And I remember I mentioned it to you and I was like, this is really strange that I just like basically, and it were hot, it's bright. And I just don't need sunglasses. And preface that, or at least mention that you are a sunglass guy. If you go outside, you know, you always felt, yeah, it's very sensitive eyes that 
had to be covered with shades all the time and you always wore sunglasses outside. Right. Well, I was getting to that. To that. I, was, okay. I was actually, that was going to be the, the backstory in front. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. It's, I'm glad that you, you introduced that. So yeah, I was like a total sunglasses person. Like my ideology of myself, my myth of myself, and this is what changed was that I needed like that I had light sensitive eyes and that I needed sunglasses. And it was like so ingrained into my concept of who I am and where I belong in the world that like I a hundred percent believed it. It was how it is. And so as a result, I definitely needed them and I was really light sensitive. And so it's funny because this thing happened where all of a sudden I didn't need them. And at first I kind of was like, Oh, ho ho ho. Cause I was still kind of reeling for the whole intensity of that experience. But it went on to the point where like, I just have not worn sunglasses again. And I realized all the deeper seated implications that were tied up in that, like what you're talking about now, like neural imprinting, where right. when yeah. I was a young person, I made this decision somewhere along the way about myself. I, I made a pact with my ego. We, we made a decision together and I was like, okay, yeah. He, he, my ego was like, yeah, you know, you need sunglasses cause your eyes are super light sensitive. You're like, you're not like normal people. You're special. You're different. Right. You know, you need these things that will help you because you see more, you know, and it was this whole <laughs> agreement that was made. You know, we, we made this little agreement together and then I bought into it and it became part of my identity. And, and right? the, other, the other thing that sunglasses do is they make you, well, I was getting to that. <laughs> Too. <laughs> I'll shut too. up now. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. go. You, you go. You go. I'll save well, my comments to the end. <laughs> the reality is, is that as I realized, as I peeled the onion layers back, you know, as time progressed, and I, I wasn't wearing them for longer and longer periods of time. And I live in the desert. I live in a, a high altitude where the sun is very bright. You're at low. You know, the atmosphere is a whole different game up here. But the reality is, is I started to look and realize, oh, you know why I was wearing these two was because it was protecting me. Right. That was what you're going to say, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah absolutely. Because we haven't really talked about it that much. So you're, it's cool that you're thinking you were thinking the same thing because yeah, yeah. it was like, oh, I'm going to protect myself from the world yeah. and I'm not going to have to like, and if I want to give let yourself the upper hand, hand, give yourself yeah, the upper yeah. hand by not yeah. letting people see your eyes. But it's not, the weirdest thing about it is, is it's not a conscious reflex, right. which is to say that it's so ingrained. It's so neurally, you know, in my neural, in my neural pathways that exist, that was wired in there. And right. it was a notion. It was a, it was a concept. It was in fact a meme. Mm -hmm. And that's what the word meme means is it's a non-genetic trait transferable thought that adapts right. and changes and takes hold and infects. Right? right. So that's how the ego works is on these memes. And so it took hold and I had this idea, but then it was shattered in an instant. That's the craziest thing. That's the thing right. I still trip out about is like, there wasn't a decision. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to talk myself out of this need to wear these glasses <laughs> and have this ego trip. Right? Mm -hmm. No, it was like straight up shattering of glass, like it's gone and right. I don't need them anymore. And I don't feel good about it. Like, Ooh, look at me. I don't need sunglasses, but rather I feel relieved because I don't feel like I need this barrier between me and like what the sun's going to burn my eyes out of my head. What I can't <laughs> look at people and let them look at my eyes unless I decide like mm -hmm. how fucking ridiculous is that? So yeah, it's that to me is like one of those full cycle things. And that comes back to what you're talking about with psychedelics, which is to say that, you know, it's important and that it can provide under the right circumstances a right. cathartic experience. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. not the topic of the show today. Wait, wait, wait I want to say one last thing. <laughs> I'm looking it up. There, it's funny because there's a uh, yeah, fi there's a fishbone song called "Hide Behind My Glasses," and it's nice. totally about you know the idea that sunglasses keep you you know it's like a, a hiding thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, it, it's funny because I didn't say it, say it, but I was thinking kind of in the back of my mind just unconsciously that 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 was part of it. I just sort of felt like it was understood when, when we were talking about it back then, you know, that that's sort of the, the well, underlying I think it thing. Because you and I were like <clears throat> jiving on a trippy plane because, and I won't go into a great amount of detail, but the night before that experience, Chet and I had an experience together that was pretty profound. And I think that you and I kind of dialed into like a, little bit of a union there to the point where right. we were, were sharing certain thoughts and conclusions about things without really talking about it. And right. that's why I was like, stop, don't tell the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. I didn't know you knew. Yeah, <laughs> so totally, so, that was off topic completely. Yeah, way so, off topic. <laughs> so you, you, this, this, uh, this podcast, um, this is Mike's idea. I think it's a great uh, topic for a conversation and it's actually from uh, someone named, uh, Amanda Foss that emailed us, right? Is that her right. name? Yeah. Yeah. She so, sent me a message on, yeah, uh, I like to paint monsters, Facebook. Yeah. So you want to explain 
And yeah, read, I'll read, read this. It. So Amanda is uh, somebody who has obviously been following the Dark Art Society. She obviously is involved in watching I Like to Paint Monsters. She's also involved in uh, art stuff here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, not here as in where I am, but <laughs> reading her message. Here is in her message. That was a neurodiverse moment. Uh, so anyway, she sent us this message, and uh, she is an artist herself, and she just had – recently kind of met with some resistance ultimately uh in the in in the realm of art and and that's kind of brings us back to the whole idea of the, the idea of the show what which is dark art in the real world right, right. Uh, this is her experience with dark art in the real world i asked her if it would be okay if i went ahead and read this on the show she said absolutely so i'm just going to read it to you guys so you guys can get a feel for what it was she was trying to convey to me and then maybe hear some of our reflections in regard to this it's kind of a query slash story okay do it when do it. Bueno. Hi guys. I just got finished listening to episode 36 of the podcast and I have a question for you and a little story for background, maybe something to address in the next Q and a. So, you know, obviously I thought, Hey, maybe she's right yeah. in regards to what you were discussing about dark art moving more into the mainstream. This is sort of a long one. So I apologize. I've been working with a local Atlanta, Georgia metro area arts organization for the past year or so as an artist, but I've also become involved with coordination excuse me, with coordination of their gallery shows and other opportunities that they offer their artist members. Recently, we began discussing the calendar for the gallery for 2018, and I had this brilliant idea. And I really mean I thought it was a fab freaking idea, no joke, to hold a nationally juried dark art exhibition. Now, the majority of our members are pretty mainstream, daisies and vases kind of artists, and I knew it would be an uphill battle given the conservative nature of most of the board, but more than anything, I wanted to at least put the idea out there and perhaps open their eyes to an alternative type of art and maybe encourage them to think outside of the box a little. They are in dire need of recruiting new members and diversifying their current membership. I want to mention that in the initial discussion, mainly with a couple of our younger, more open-minded members, I actually received great feedback. But when presented to the board of directors, the show was quickly shot down. As a matter of fact, not only did the idea get squashed immediately, but a couple of people openly expressed their disgust at the very thought <laughs> of, quote, dark art. Welcome to our world. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure our listeners can dig on this and know mm -hmm. what that's like, because I'm sure we've all faced it. Yeah. <clears throat> Some of the comments that I was hearing actually floored me, So, I'm, and she doesn't repeat them. Yeah, which I'd is love to know the nice, comments. Nice of her. <laughs> They completely ignored my carefully chosen examples of work by Chetzar and several several other artists that I provided, and I wasn't even able to state my case properly as I could barely get a word in over the constant <laughs> screeching of disapproval from one of the, quote, ladies in particular. <laughs> so in order to keep my temper to myself and not, quote, offend anyone further, I shut my mouth and let them run out of steam a little. As I sat there, the thought occurred to me that this organization, whom I support by paying dues and volunteering my time and labor, seems to disapprove of and has deemed inappropriate the very artwork that I love to paint. Granted, much of my work may not be quite as dark as some artists out there, and some of my stuff is more fantasy than dark, but the thought that they would pick and choose which of my paintings they deem to be appropriate or inappropriate just really left a sour taste in my mouth. I have to ask myself, why should I waste my time supporting an organization that doesn't support me? Yeah. I'm just wondering if either of you have had issues like this when presenting your dark art ideas to people who may not be, f be all that familiar with the genre, and what did you do to change their minds? Also, would you have any advice for me where my dark art exhibition is concerned? I'm just not willing to let go of the idea. I might have to curb my expectation a little and find an alternative location for the show and recruit a little help, but I know it can be done and I know it would be awesome. Thank you. Love the podcast. Keep them coming, Mandy. So I just was really moved by that myself yeah. and I turned Chet onto it because I felt like that is so typical. Yeah. You yeah. Know, that's the tip. We, that's the standard. Face. Yeah. That's the standard thing. Yeah. I think it, I thought that was a great point. She brought up too. this. Why am I supporting this? organization that's not going to support me or even hear me out right. you know and that that is just such a common thing that's why we you know that's one of the reasons we started this whole thing is because it really is kind of an uphill battle it's hard enough to be just an artist and make it let alone be a dark artist and make it that's like an added burden on top of everything else you know so because totally. you're, you're lobbying for everything that comes along with what your imagery conjures in people's minds right right 
you know, and that's hard to lobby against because people have, you know, anytime the the reality is this, you know, you, you and I as artists and a lot of the people we know that are listening to this, we face disturbing things on a regular basis about ourselves by doing this kind of work. And so we're relatively comfortable facing disturbing things. That's why we're attracted to disturbing things like horror movies and whatever we like, you know, is because we're willing to face it. But that's atypical. The mass majority of the world is typical and they don't want to face the disturbing stuff unless if it's soft enough to play with and the reality is is that's not what we're pandering here and so that makes people uncomfortable making them face these these things that make them feel insecure and anxious and nervous and disgusted yeah otherwise you know the the reaction wouldn't if it was the reaction wouldn't be that strong if it was like something that was just unusual and outside of their wheelhouse they might just say nah you know maybe not but the fact that this one woman was screaming (laughs) over her you know wouldn't let them wouldn't let her get get a word in edgewise it's kind of like geez that's kind of extreme you know yeah Uh, well, and that's like that book I was reading that, you know, and I'm not even going to say the title of it because I don't want people to go out and buy copies of it, you know, to give oh, them right. any, yeah, any yeah. that cop, that detective that, you know, from New York or whatever, that we got all into exorcisms and like all of the ideology in this book and the, you know, the people really, and I'm not, I'm not saying that exorcism isn't a real thing or that it doesn't have spiritual import or religious import. What I'm saying is, is that the rhetoric in it was so derogatory towards what it is that we're doing. I mean, their belief that a fundamentally a Ouija board is like something that like could ruin your entire lives right, and like yeah. ruin your, your children and, and that like it's, you should burn it and smash it and right, like have, yeah. you know, piles of them burning. It's, that's a terrifying concept that mm-hmm. people really, because the thing is, maybe there are people out there that have that ability with it. I certainly do not. And I know you don't. And we actually engage in it on a much more, uh, what would you say, custom culture level, right? Right. Uh, and so that's, what, you know, it's not because we're trying to channel demons from parallel dimensions, you right. know, it's because we like the dark, scary, uncomfortable aspect of it. And as kids that fed our imaginations and right. helped us to feel an outlet for what we were feeling inside and right. balance that internal and external pressure, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would say overall about about this this topic is, um, you know, there's always going to be a religious issue, probably with dark art. And you know how that is. You can't you can't change. You can't change those minds, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, especially the indoctrinated religious views from early childhood. Um, I, I I would say overall, though, and we've said this uh, touched upon this before, is that you know, you have to be the bigger person, you know, shouting back, uh, you know, I think the, what Mandy did was the, the correct thing to do. And, and that's not, you totally, know, get into a big totally. argument. You have to be the bigger person. It's just, you know, that's, that's our, our cross to bear as, as dark artists is that we got to deal with people like that and we have to be the bigger person and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, live by example because if because if you start screaming back then they can immediately pin that on you that you're you know a psycho and a weirdo and you're yelling and you know so you have to kind of be the bigger person and um and and know that you will you won't you will never get certain people to be into it you will never be able to open their minds there's some people just like she was saying why am i putting money into this and paying my dues and supporting this if they're not going to support me sometimes you got to let those people go. And I think the, yep, the, the, yep. the important thing is to not so much try and convert people into uh, liking dark art as much as finding those out there who are already either into it and need to find a support system or people that are on the fence that are like, you know, they, 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 they might not, they might feel weird. Like it's bad to like, but something inside is drawing them to it. Like secretly they like it. You know, mm-hmm. so you want to really find, um, I think, you know, go towards the people like that rather than trying to change minds of minds that will never be changed. You know? Sure, sure. Well, I think it's it again comes back down to that kind of path of least resistance mm-hmm. outlook, which is to say that, you know, you can struggle against the the obstacles that are in your way, certainly. And in might you move them? Sure. But how much energy will you expend trying to do that? Right. And is it worth the amount of energy that you're willing to, to pay for it? Right. You know, there's always a lot more opportunities down the stream than there are just right where you're stuck 
thinking that that's the only thing. And so I think it's better just to kind of, you know, again, as I, I joked before, it's about Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, <laughs> know when to walk away and know when to run, you know, yeah. and it's true. Cause it's like yeah. in that situation, rattles, she basically. yeah, exactly. In that situation, she could have been like, you know, all right, I'm going to throw down with this lady right now and here in front of the whole board group. And sure. I mean, that's one way you could go with it. But the reality is, is how much energy are you expending for? And what's the payoff? Yeah, is it going to serve person, you? Yeah. Is it going to yeah, serve you or, or not? That's the bottom And furthermore, line. does it serve the greater interest of what it is you're involved in? Because here you are wanting to put on a dark art exhibition. You are, like you said, a, a representative or, you know, a liaison for this movement. So you don't want to represent us in any way that's going to make us look more like what they already think we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, that's the whole idea. That's what we're going for, you know, is, is profession professionality and, and actually approaching things in a more responsible way because we kind of have to hold ourselves to the uh, higher standard. Yeah, even, you know? I know. It's unfair, but that's just the way it is. It you is. Know? And every and minority group has to deal with this, you know. Right. And sometimes you realize that maybe there are situations where a, you have enough leverage and B you actually are poised to utilize that leverage effectively to get what you want. And maybe it is worth the amount like, of energy. And I'll give you an oh. example. There is Guillermo del Toro's show. You know, he had, has the pull to get a show, the, uh, at home with monsters show where he, <clears throat> if in case you don't know, most people probably do, but he, uh, did a, a museum tour show of all the work in his collection, which had some of my pieces in it, had some of Christopher Ulrich's, some Travis Louis, really an amazing, amazing, amazing. probably the best okay. art show I've ever seen for sure. The best museum show I've ever seen all dark art, plus a bunch of monster stuff, movie props and stuff. But Bekshinsky was in there and uh, it was just incredible. But he is the kind of guy that has has the, the pull to be able to make that happen. Cause I can guarantee you no way in hell without a guy like that. Even if it was just some collector dude who had that collection, went to the museum and said, Hey, I want to loan you my collection to do uh, an amazing show. They would be like, you know, no, not really. But because Guillermo, right. you know, he, he did the, the right thing, you know, and, and I, I've maybe mentioned before, but after the show, I, I emailed him and said this, you know, it's so amazing that you're doing this for us for the mm -hmm. movement. You know, mm -hmm. getting us in a museum is it's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Big deal to legitimizing yeah. us. And he was well, like, and, and he was, he, he wrote back. That's why I did it. You know, that was like his goal. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Well, and, and I think on a smaller scale, the reality is, is that, you know, you're, if you're not Guillermo del Toro, then the likelihood that you're going to be able to move these people that are in a very, you know, uh, standard state of mind right. is going to be difficult. But what you can do is you can say, okay, well, how can, if I want to really do this thing and I'm passionate about it, then how can I sidestep that and still be able to effectively achieve my goal? And for me as an entrepreneur, what I think is, okay, well, what you do is, is you figure out what's the cost involved you know, to rent a space that's in an area where people can come to it mm -hmm. and find out how much money that is and find a way to raise that money, whether you crowdfund it or you right. do any other number of things, raffle it or whatever. There's a lot of ways to generate some interest, generate money, generate motivation between the people involved and get the space, pay for the space and try to make it as close as you can to wherever this other thing is, just so you can, you know, <laughs> just right. for the fun of kind of thumbing your nose that you still achieved it if you want to go that route. <laughs> You know? yeah, yeah. But the reality <laughs> is you still can, you can still do your thing, but what it means is you have to roll indie. And I mean, that's why Chet and mm -hmm. I did the documentary the way that we did same difference, right? We didn't want to give that, uh, that creative control away to anybody, you know? Yeah. And that's, I, I've approached everything in my career that way, you know, because I always felt as a dark artist, I was totally on the, on the outside of the, the regular art scene even, you know, and that was, um, and that's a pretty weird scene. The, 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 what was, you know, called the lowbrow scene or pop surrealism scene when I came in, in the early two thousands, uh, even in that, I felt like I was on the outside of that, but because they, they had that cool, inclusive, um, <clears throat> vibe about them, even though they, they, you know, I was one of the only people doing dark stuff, they let me in. So, I, I showed wherever, that's why I have, I feel I have a real loyalty to that scene, that pop surrealism mm -hmm. scene, because they mm -hmm. were the only ones that would show me, you know? Sure. And so, um, you know, basically there's never been, um, all this throughout my career, there's never been a place to go to where I could, where I could say, you know, I'm a dark artist, you know, can I show at your gallery or, 
any kind of um, organization that would support me in any way. So I just decided mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. that now there's becoming more and more, but um, I just always approached it like nobody's going to help me do this. So I got to do it myself and I got to figure out a way to do it myself. And, and it's just about having that determination and then using your own, you know, limitations for thinking about something creatively. And, and a lot of times, you know, you, uh, Mandy, you may, you may pursue this, um, juried dark art exhibition, which I think is ama- an amazing idea. And I'm sure Mike does too. Oh yeah. You can, um, you may find that by pursuing it on your own and having these extreme limitations that you'll end up for somehow with a way better show than, than if you would have gone with this little mainstream group, they would have maybe put limitations on you in this way or that way. So I, you know, always be open to sometimes it's, it's, there's a tougher path to take, but I really do believe that, you know, limited, um, limited resources and just having limitations placed on you forces you to think creatively about things. And you end up coming up with better ideas than you would have had you just had like some people saying, okay, I'm going to give you money to do this show. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, it's, it, that's that classical cliche, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. Right, yeah. I mean, that's the reality is, is how do you, you know, no one needed a wheel until they needed one. And then they had to create something to fill that void, you know? So it's like, you got to do, you know, you got to know when to play that game. And again, I think Chet's right. I think the reality is, is we have to edge our way into this world. It's not like we're going to be able to just like show up on the scene and be like, ta-da. Cause I promise you, you know, my experience of resistance in this started when I was really young. Cause like in the last episode I mentioned, you know, bodies dripping blood into vaults, you know, to drown Mm -hmm. people when I'm in the first grade, it's like that was not well received, you know, at school, it just was not all the stuff I was doing was not. And they were like, no, what's with this kid. And then there's like, I remember there was a newspaper submission where you could submit, it was a just say no to drugs campaign. And they were like, you could submit your, your artwork. And if you won, they were going to put you on a billboard in Spokane, like up on the billboard, you know? And I was like, Oh my, that was like, I was thinking to myself as a little kid, even I was like, dude, that's my chance. Right. That's my break into the world. I'm going to do my art and it'll be on fucking billboards, dude. Like I was so excited. I was so, I was pretty little too. I was like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight or something, you know? <laughs> and so I like sat down and I drew this like decapitated head, missing a jaw <laughs> with the top of the head sawed off. And I was inspired by Iron Maiden artwork. I know right. I was. And the top of the head is sawed off and it's the, the seven son of the seven son artwork. And, and there was like a, a spoon going into it and it's, and it was like, this is your brain on drugs, you know? Uh-huh. And it's like, obviously like, it's got no brain. It's been eaten, you know? And I'm like thinking this is the coolest thing ever. And my mom faithfully, you know, dutifully puts the stamp on it. Oh, it's great. You know, send it off. (laughs) And the thing is, even the runner ups were supposed to get their picture in the newspaper, at least where they would show the artwork of the kids. Uh And I was a runner up because the artwork was so good. They had to at least give me a runner up prize, Uh but they didn't show my piece of art in the, in the newspaper. So immediately my realization was like, Oh, censorship, right? Yeah. <laughs> like already, I know that they're like, no, they're no, we're not having this. Who the fuck you think you are? This is like 1985. Fuck you, kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not, de- no, huh? Yeah. not even in the newspaper. So I, I was right away kind of like, wow, okay, so this is rough. This is how it's going to be. Right. Not only do they hate the shit at school, but the bigger, the world at large hates it too. The only people that like it are horror movie makers and haunted house makers and you know heavy metal music makers anything that was like dark and heavy and weird was like those people were cool but how are you going to get to that right as a kid you're just like i just felt sloshed i was like oh my god yeah. I'm ruined. I was like it. then, even at that age, I was like, I'm going to be an artist, and yeah. then I was like, No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that's a hard lesson to learn. You know, it's funny that um, you you mentioned that. It reminds me of the times I had uh, when I was a kid. I was entered in some school things. Like I got that press telegram award of to all the yeah, schools yeah. in LA. And the way I saw, if I would have just submitted my artwork, for one thing, I probably wouldn't have won just because I probably wasn't, you know, as the best in my field at painting and drawing at that time. But, um, uh, I didn't see the other entries, so I don't know, but, uh, you know, I was not 
the thing that gave me the edge was the makeup effects angle. That's that's when I, I brought that when I was showing my portfolio. I'm like, oh, here's my makeup effects work. It was all these masks, right. and I could tell they went, oh, and yep, and it's, yep. so it's funny because I was able to win that award and sidestep that whole prejudice because I had this unusual technical thing super going cool. you, you know like super the, cool. yeah but but it's funny it was, it's just it was like a you know a backdoor entrance in a way because it was a, sure, a sure. way to get people off the fact that still the stuff i showed them was all monsters all my makeup effect, effects was you know an old but it was genre based so they were like oh this fits right, it's, that's right, what they right. do it's in yeah it's in it's a movie. horror movie it thing. was like some kind of reference point for them to say this is okay yeah, you know yeah. So I they mean? could, and that's the thing we're talking about here on many levels is legitimizing. You know, right. any way that you can, and that's you know, Chet's saying, okay, even as a younger person, he was working an angle, he was strategizing, he was hustling, and he was like, okay, you know, I see that I can legitimize what I'm doing to get in that back door and still do what I'm doing and love it. You know, yeah. and I and I've seen. I don't know that thought, I necessarily thought it <laughs> thought it through that way, but. <laughs> Well, it you didn't may work not that have way. thought it through that. Maybe I'm giving you more credit than you did. But the point is, is that I guess as adults now, people listening to this, you know, mm -hmm. they can take advantage of that and think to themselves, oh, OK, well, how can I leverage this situation right. to legitimize what it is that I'm doing, but still be able to entertain mm -hmm. the thing that I love about what I do? Right. You know, I mean, and I can say similarly when I was a young person, when we would have like the Cub Scout things where you would like they'd give you everyone had the same uh, supplies, like they'd give you a box of noodles a bunch of pipe cleaners, a cardboard box, a bunch of sprinkles and, you know, 15 loops of braided twine and everyone had to make something out of it. And, right. and no one could use anything other than what they gave you. I would always win that shit every right. single time because again, it's mainstream. So I could look at all that stuff and be like, oh, I know how to make the coolest thing here out of that. Fuck yeah. And I would, and I would win that kind of stuff. But if they were like, bring it to me with what you really right. got with your artistic <laughs> self, it was like all the way through really. I mean, honestly, <laughs> High school, it was easier, but in college, it was terrible. I mean, I, I was like a pre-art major. So I came into college, like right. straight out taking like junior level art courses and shit. And dude, they hated me. I mean, all my professors hated me. For the first time in my life, I'm getting C's in art. And right. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? You know, it's not like I wasn't doing quality work, but guess what? It was dark. Right. You know, if this is brings up a great point, and I didn't even think about this until just now. This is perfect. Um, this weekend I did, I had a print show at art center gallery in uh, orange County. Oh, and cool. um, yeah, it was really cool. I was selling canvas G clay prints. It was in a mall. It's an art gallery in a mall. They're called commercial art galleries. They're like uh, not so much like the, the hoity toity fine art stuff. They're more, they're called, they're referred to as commercial art galleries and, but they sell stuff and it's cool. And in a mall, I mean, I think it's kind of cool to show at a mall just because it's so, so weird. Badass, dude. And, that kind of reminds me of like, uh, and I'll not, I won't go long, I promise. But in Las Vegas, I went to like an art mall thing mm -hmm. when I was there and it was like big art, cool art stuff, but it was in a mall, like right, yeah. internal mall. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so anyway uh, it was a cool, it was really cool. And I got to a lot of, uh, fans came out and a little side note, a lot of people, I heard a bunch of people telling me how much they love the podcast. It was so cool. Nice. Like they loved it. They loved it. But, um, that just reminds me, there was this, uh, one young woman who was there, uh, who, uh, her, her, her father and her, her whole family frequents that gallery. They buy artwork from there. And his father said that told me that she was an art historic or an art history major in college. Mm -hmm. So she was you nice. know getting a degree and she was, I think she had almost graduated. Her name was Cassandra. I forget her last name. Really, really, really sweet, really nice person. And um, I I was like, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you when she came, finally came. And I kind of pulled her aside and I was basically explained to her about this whole movement that's happening. And I, and, mm -hmm. I, and, 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 she, and she, I said, there's, you know, they don't, they're not teaching you anything about that. She's like, no, not at all. I was like, you know, I said, you know, Giger, right? And she's like, no. And I'm like, you don't know Giger. So I pulled up my phone and she's, she'd never seen Giger before. She's wow, like, oh my crazy. God, this is incredible. And I said, have you heard of Bekshinsky? She's like, no. And I, and I showed her Bekshinsky and she was just totally blown away. And she's like, I, I know. Like I said, these are, you know, major, major, artists as important as any other artist in yeah, art yeah. history as far as i'm concerned and well unless and she, you have and she, an inquisitive mind you're not going to seek that stuff out right own, yeah you know? yeah yeah but she you know she was kind of surprised that 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 artwork existed and that it wasn't even at all addressed in 
for someone who's an art history major in college, I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, it just should, dude, I'm it not just, surprised though. I mean, yeah. I guess I, I, I guess I should be because it's been what? I graduated from college in 2002. So it's been 15 years, right? right? And I was doing the same game. And 15 years ago, they definitely weren't talking about anything like that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, they basically, they, they went as far as the 70s. They didn't go any, they didn't touch anything after the 70s in right. art history. That was it. That was like where art history ends. Right, like right. the 80s and 90s didn't mean anything as far right. as the art art history was concerned. So I guess it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it is a bit shocking. Still Giger, you know, Giger, not in your 70s. Yeah, Giger, Giger and Bekshinsky were doing stuff in the 70s, you know. They, totally. they, they, but anyway, she was... She was very, really impressed and really excited too. I, I told her, I said, "That's the best part." Yeah, I said, I was like, you know, this is a real art movement that's happening on this grassroots level. So I feel like since you're a an art historian, you know, I want to tell you about it. And she she got all super excited about it. And I actually I gave her a copy of my book because it's got that great essay nice. by Carrie Ann Bada in there about the uh, monsters in art. And I gave her a copy of the DVD. Because I'm nice. like, you got to see this because this this documentary started out about me and it ended up, you know, transforming into a uh, a movie about the the dark art movement. And so mm-hmm. she was really excited. So it was really cool to be able to turn her on to, you know, it, it's just crazy. It's so crazy to me that, you know, this 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 move. I don't see any art movement as vital as this this art movement that the dark art movement. I don't. I, sure, it seems like sure. the most. It has the most energy. The people, that's the other thing I want to tell you. The people that are into it are way into it more than any other mm-hmm. art, art scene I've ever seen. Like uh, this, this guy, Todd, who runs the gallery, you know, we're just kind of getting to know each other and we've been only been working together a couple of years and, and only more recently um, working more closely. And I was telling him, I'm like, you, you see these people that come in that are fans. They're like people either look at my stuff and they either don't care or they don't like it. Or they totally love it, like it's mm-hmm. it's the 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 uh, the gap between those two is so great. There's no middle ground at all. But the people that are like it are so into it, like so well, I can so I mean, into I, it. It's crazy. Yours. What's funny to me is you're finally realizing this. And when I first reached out to you in 2011, I was telling you I was like your shit is blowing my mind. Like you don't even, I can't even begin to describe like how motivated I feel that there's actually people out there that are legitimately doing this. And this is the kind of shit that I've been doing my whole life, but never been accepted doing right, and never. Right. And it was almost to the point of like throw in the towel. Right. Fuck it. I just, you know, won't try to do commercialize it at all. I won't even try to pursue it for money. I'll just do it on the side as I've kind of started to feel like maybe that's all I'd ever been doing, you mm-hmm. know, and instead of building towards this career, which is what I had been doing i was almost kind of like so dismayed and then i saw your work and it like fucking rocked my cap back dude i was like what the fuck you know (laughs) seriously and when that happens that's such a profound moment i mean i remember the first time that ever happened to me with an artist because you've talked about how giger was kind Mm -hmm. of the first time where you were like oh my god people Mm -hmm. out there doing this you know for me i was my sister just gone away to college and so i was like that would have put me in the ninth grade so the top of junior high because for me it was first through sixth and then eighth, ninth, uh, wait, seventh, eighth, ninth. Mm-hmm. And then high school was 10th, 11th, 12th. So that's it was, how like it was for me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I know it's different now, but that's how it was for me. So ninth grade was the top of junior high. My sister went away to college and we went to a football game where she went to college. She went to WSU, uh, Washington state university. So like the Cougars and my parents are alumni. So they were like, eh, go Cougs. <laughs> and I'm like this little, like weird kind of like alternate gothy punky, you know, little kid that wants nothing to do with football. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, and my parents had us staying at this bed and breakfast. And I remember I was downstairs. It was like a really kind of Victorian type bed and breakfast and sitting on this table, real ornate stuff everywhere. There's this like end table and there's this book on it and it's like a photographic book. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a look at that. And I pick it up and I open it up and it's Edward Keenholz. And I've told you about mm-hmm. him before. Yeah. And and I mean, absolutely. When I set that book down, my world was changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seriously, it, it affected me that profoundly right. where I was like, he does these photographic setups of like snapshots basically 
exactly in time. And they're super creepy and super dark and super weird and edgy and almost like Lynchian. And it's but you know, it's around the same era, I suppose, but uh, they're all still photographs. So he sets up these full scenes and sometimes they have mannequins in them and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they have full size cars in them. And they, they, there's the elaborate setups. And then he takes these still photographs of them. What's, his, mean, name? what's his name again? Keenholtz. K-I-E-N-H-O-L-T-Z, Edward Keenholz. Okay, I'm going to look him up. Uh, and it's, and it, dude, his stuff is amazing. It's like, and I know I've showed it to you before, and you yeah. were like, oh my God, how have I never heard of this guy? Yeah. But like, I here I am, like, I think I was like oh, 14. Oh yeah, yeah, this stuff's awesome. And I was just like, Oh my God. I like, this is my guy. This is, this is the thing, you know, like he's doing these elaborate black and white setups and it's like, the, you know, the one, some of the ones that really stuck with me is like, it would be a cutout of like, uh, you know, a night attendant at a motel where the, you come up to the right. window and it opens up, but you're on the inside and it's not the whole thing. It's like a piece of a building with a piece of roof and walls and a piece of a floor that's cut out where you can see the internal portions of the wall. Yeah, this and is like all these stuff. tables and chairs and they're all lacquered so that like it all is perfect. Like yeah. you could dust it and stuff, but yeah. there'll be like cigarettes where it looks like a full cigarette with the ash and everything like sitting in the ashtray. And it's like this creepy, like yeah. snapshot of time. And some of them are really dark and elaborate and like pretty horrific. And some of them are less. It looks but, like he, he did a lot of um, installations. Like the photos are, totally. are installations of his, or of his installations. These are amazing, yeah. amazing. And amazing. I saw, I, I actually got to see one of them at the Portland art museum. I guess that would have been back in like 2008 in person. They have a full one there and it's mm -hmm. just, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, and, and for me as a 14 year old, I was like, Oh my God, this is it. You know, like this is somehow, I didn't know what it was. It was a piece to the puzzle and I didn't know how it fit in, but it was dark and it was weird, but it was in a book and it was on a table at a normal person's house. Right. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, Holy shit, this guy cracked the code. Who's this guy? You know? Yeah. And I, I remember even being in a punk rock band a year later and I even wrote a song where I like mentioned him. Cause I was so like, Oh my God. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I think the important thing, again is like what you mentioned to be able to be to see a person have that or to be able to know that you're involved in someone having that or to turn someone on to that and right. that vibe and that energy they get where it's like you're my people you're right. from my tribe we do the same thing we <laughs> like the same shit it's so rare because right. it's it's atypical that it's like you know you you just have to really enjoy it when you find it you know but we're talking about trying to lobby more for that and that's why amanda brought up these questions because i think they're really important questions it's right, like yeah. how do we handle resistance in you know how do we integrate better into the the real world as it were and as chet already said i think it's really by leading by example mm -hmm. what we do is we force ourselves into popular consciousness more and more and more as best as we're able and doing, you know, and really, really doing great work and make, making sure your art really has something to say, you know, and really holding yourself to an extra high standard, I think to, totally. to, to, to you know, look at yourself as an ambassador to the rest of the world, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, well, let me say this one thing real quick. There's uh, this one kid I met, his name was, it was, it had the weirdest name. His name was Ink Ink. Ink, inky do inky do it was like yeah and, and i remember i was telling him like yeah you could have an art you have got a great artist name you could spell it like because he spelled it i n k e d u inky do and i was like oh you could spell it phonetically like inky do like i n k y d o that would be a great yeah, yeah. artist name anyway he was really cool. I ended up giving him a ride home because he walked there like a few miles and I, and I, and I dropped him off on the way home. He's really, really cool guy. And he gave me a little painting, which is great. He was really good. But, um, I was, we were talking of course about the whole dark art thing and mm -hmm. you know, people just basically the discussion we're having here. And he said, yeah, it's crazy that people don't like this because I feel like for, he was 20 in early twenties. He's like, for people my age, I feel like they see this stuff and they go, this is, this is the art. This is mm -hmm. our regular art is the dark yep. stuff. This is the stuff that gets us excited. It's like what, what the older people, when they see an amazing landscape or something or a, a cowboy or, or on a horse. And yeah. The, yeah. You know, totally. It's like the stuff that the, to, to us, he said to the, these us young people, this is, this is our artwork, you know, 
And I think it's true. I think it's, it's, a, it's, so it's cool a generational get, thing, you know? Yeah. I think it's so cool that that generation now is like getting to have the artwork that we always wished we had when yeah, we were younger. Right. Yeah. Cause like we were, you know, you, you obviously are a little bit older than me, but you know, even when I was a kid, it was like, I remember, like I said before, you know, them picketing the mall because they were selling this t-shirt that was like scary. And they were right. like literally people out picketing the mall. <laughs> and I went and bought the t-shirt with my mom, you know, but it's like that, that's a, you know, that's a totally different world than it is now. And we longed for things that would be that way. And the whole reason that a lot of the culture has been influenced in the way that it is, is because now a lot of us are adults, you know? Right, right. And so, yeah. and, you know, and so now you see this younger generation feeding on the art that we're creating from things that we were excited about that were cutting edge and weren't available that we had to DIY ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. if you wanted a skull shirt, you had to make yourself a skull shirt. I mean, you had to figure out how to draw a skull right. and put it on a shirt so you could wear it, which meant you had to hone your skills at drawing skulls on shirts. It was right. just like a thing, right? Yeah. You know, whereas now you, you, they are able to afford to enjoy that as an artistic commodity instead of having to try to figure out how they're going to do that so that they can do the other things they like because they're consuming that is as right. as entertainment on many levels culture, that's how i consume know. artwork yeah. as, as entertainment really yeah. yeah yeah and everyone's different of course yeah 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 i think that's uh, uh um yeah i i i guess um what we should address too is how one thing she asked i just don't want to gloss over it is sure. what she should do. She's like, what, you know, what, what, how, how should I handle yeah, this I jury? Because I think the jury, uh, art exhibition is such a great idea. You know, it's, it's, awesome. it's, it's, it's a very cool idea. And, and it's, you know, that's one of the many tragic things about Greg Escalante dying is, um, just, you know, of course, losing him is the, 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 the terrible thing. Cause he was really a great person, but, one reason it's such a huge blow to the community is that he was, he was open to this kind of artwork and he was like sneaking me into art shows as well. Sure. You sure. Know? And, um, Hey, speaking of which, when is that juxtapose coming out? Uh, Oh, the next, next issue. They assured oh, me. Okay. Yeah. The, and they're, I think they're going quarterly now. So I, yeah, oh, I got okay. a feature, I got a feature in juxtapose finally. So that's cool. Yay. I mean, I, I had a short one, a really small one back in 2008 or something. It's and crazy that, that they're going quarterly. It's really sad to watch. I mean, it's sad and it's good to watch the, these publication companies mm -hmm. uh, shut down because that's happening to me right now. And I've been, I've been writing for Tattoo Master Magazine for a year now, writing their culture section, and they're shutting their doors after nine years, you know? Yeah. So it's like they just can't compete. There's, you know, there's so much you know, uh, information media. media being populated by the people that are actually doing the stuff that they, no intermediary is necessary. And of course I'm benefiting from that too, but also there's, you know, a nostalgia involved in those old magazines and those subscriptions and that print and getting and waiting for it and then having it and it being this thing, you know? So it's, it's like, it's a, it's an old way that's dying, you know, it's all going digital, but even to see juxtaposed going quarterly and these magazines shutting their doors entirely, it's, yeah, it's the end of an era anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Juxtapose always kind of, you know, I, Greg is the one, Greg Escalante is the one who got me that initial article. And it was because, um, just on a whim because they, they needed to fill space or the, you know, the article that was going to happen didn't happen. So it was like, okay, if you can get, if we can do this interview, I can get you in juxtapose, but we have to do it tonight and we have to, I have to submit everything tomorrow. So, um, but yeah, other than that, they've really, I, I I knew someone that was working on their blog. And so they used to kind of post things once in a while on their blog. But as far as the magazine, it took me all this time to get in there. And that's kind of an example of the prejudice against dark art as well. It's I mean, a huge example. I mean, they it. kind of geared, they, they went street art after street art got big and it seemed to neglect everybody else, especially the dark artists there. You know, they had a, you know, they put out a series of books of custom culture and one was called dark art i wasn't in that book and it was like you know hardly anybody i knew was in that book and i know pretty much all the big dark artists sure. so but anyway anyway that's beside the point um so i'm gonna get get in there now i think it's in february it comes out but um cool anyway so what back to what i was saying was uh how to move forward with that situation yeah yeah i mean um I guess, I guess we kind of covered it a little bit, like, uh, uh, seeing what you can do on your own without them. Totally. Although, 
I, I know, I, I understand her angle, which is, you know, having uh, a dark art juried exhibition through a quote unquote legit art. Oh, yes. Organization. It makes idea. sense. Yeah. But I might suggest maybe finding the, you know, going to the people that were open to it. And, um, you know, maybe it means starting your own little art organization the way that they have a regular one for you know the daisies and bass crowd maybe start a whatever it's like an an arts council in your town that is maybe do one that specializes in in dark art maybe yeah you know that's one way to go Well, and, and that's i think you bring up a really great point chad and i think it's a really important one and that is that how can we mobilize either as individuals or as a group together in cooperation to advance our cause. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you do that is by things like what Chet just said, which legitimizes it. You know what I mean? You force it into popular consciousness to whatever degree. And there's lots of ways to do that. The reality is, is like right now I've been talking with this girl from Scotland who's writing her dissertation for her master's degree on dark art. She says no one knows anything about it. She has no references. She has no way to really, you know, write it, but she's just impassioned to write it. So I've been kind of, you know, tipping her along as she goes. And it's just, you know, it's, that's how burgeoning it is, right? That like right. people are trying to write these college, college dissertation, excuse me, dissertations, because right. they're so, they're so impassioned by it, but there's nothing to draw from because it's never been legitimized in such a fashion that you could actually, you know, cite it the way right. that you need to cite it. No one's, you really has used the term directly in association with this thing we're agreeing upon, you know, so it's also very new, but there's all kinds of ways that are old, to do things, you know, there's grant writing, for instance, like Chet said, there are ways to form councils. There are all kinds of ways to mobilize yourself or other people to get things done and to actually get money brought to you. And that's why I said, you know, crowdfunding is one way, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of ways to generate money to do these kinds of things. But what it takes is, is a person who's willing to step up and say, okay, I'm willing to do the grunt work. Is the amount of time and energy I'm putting into this organization, labor and dues worth what I'm getting out of it versus what would it be if I took that money and that labor and put it into creating something from the ground up and then benefiting from all the experiential knowledge of what it is to actually figure out how to do that as you're doing it, which is how we do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And and not to mention the the service that you'd be doing for your community, you know, and, and, and and it's, it's going to, it would be uh, really, it would be good for, because if there's, I always subscribe to the idea that if, you're you're feeling a way a certain way you have a certain taste there's other people out there feeling the exactly the same way you do they just are not saying it so yeah, um yeah. you know sometimes you got to put that out there and 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 put that you know put the uh cast your bait out there and see if the, find the other people like yourself and it sounded like you had some people in that meeting that were totally into the idea so they might want to help help you start start your own little art council i mean how cool would that be if this thing spurred on a competing arts council yeah, right. you know that ended totally. up being way bigger because we know this we know this from you know from being at the at the grassroots level is that it this is the most vital and big art scene that's just kind of waiting to happen in a big way so being in on the ground floor could mean you know more work in the beginning but you be, being more firmly established when it does start to kind of take hold and, you know, being a leader, being a leader in the, in the, in the movement, you know? Well, and that's, you know, and that's the reality is that's what we're, you know, that's what we're kind of asking everybody to do here is like, what is the part? What is your role? How can you play it? You know? And, and that's, that's what we're, that's what Chad and I are doing. I mean, we really, if, if it did, we didn't feel like we were playing the role that we needed to play, which is sit here and talk with you guys about this and spread this information as best as we're able and to try to communicate it in an enjoyable way, you know, that we wouldn't be doing it. We know that's our role. We're playing that role, you know, and, and luckily we, enjoy it and we can just be ourselves at the same time. And that's a pretty good role to have. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of roles that we need people to play in this whole entire, you know, gambit. And everyone is tuned differently for those roles. There are people out there that are enforcers and there are people out there that are jokers and there are people that are nerds and there are people that are leaders, you know, right, and yeah. everyone has something to contribute. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I, I look at a lot of 
some people are, you know, like uh, uh, Lisa is like this and you're like this. You're that type of person where you're like, you know, in acting, they it's it's like, you know, the star gets the all the attention, but it's the supporting actors that actually are doing like the best work. They're like these kind of unsung heroes. And, right, right. you know, people that like William William H. Macy in most of the right, movies. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's a million of them. You know, these are the best guys, these guys that are character actors and stuff that, that are never yeah. leads. They're like the best actors, you know. Yeah. But it's like, you know, there's a certain kind of person that's really good at supporting that su- supportive type people like supporting actors. I kind of think sure. of them as. And like I said, you're very much like that too. You're, you always want to lend a hand to something that you see that needs help. You're, you're, you know, you're mm-hmm. really cool about that. Lisa's really like that too. She's like not into the glory, but she, you know, if she, if she sees something that is worth supporting, she wants to just do what it takes to support it. And, and, yeah, and yeah. those people are just as important as the people that are in the spotlight as well. You yeah. know, it's like everybody, like you're saying, it's a great point. Everybody's got their strength everybody's got something that another person doesn't have that can, that can add something to the mix. Like some people, you know, are totally into the art scene, the dark art scene, but they're not, you know, they just, they don't, maybe don't have the art thing where they, they, they can't do the skill, you know, to be a painter or whatever, but they might be really good at managing or, and they can manage other artists. They can start, pages they could start a gallery they whatever there's like so many different things and, and it, i think that's super important to um to you know to to uh to realize that and to realize that you don't have to be the artist guy doing the paintings to be a yeah, big yeah. big important oh, part yeah. of this thing it's like guillermo totally. you know he's he's all all the stuff he was promoting was fine art and he doesn't really do fine art he's you know he's doing uh, it, film you know which of course that's an art but it's not the kind of art he's promoting he didn't do mm-hmm. a big exhibit about movies he did a sure. big exhibit about <laughs> monsters in art you know and yeah and that's, and that's and like his if, if you look at what he does he's a professional filmmaker that was his hobby that's his hobby right, right. you know that's what he does on the side like he's like i love this stuff and i want the world to see it and so i'm gonna do this thing and i'm gonna spend my money and take my time and coordinate with my people and la di da it's not that's not an easy thing to do there's a lot of coordinating in there but i think again it all comes back down to what i was kind of mentioning before which is like self-awareness you can't really play your role until you know what your role is you know you can't really do your part until you know who you are right right? and so you know that it all comes back down to the self and and figuring out and kind of deciding well you know do these old myths make sense right like Mm -hmm. for instance what you said you know oh you know i i I don't even remember what it was that you said we won't repeat it but like my little saying to myself is like oh i need sunglasses i need sunglasses this whole myth that I have with myself and it's like you know, well, do I really need that now that I'm aware that it exists? You know, well, no, I clearly don't. Now, that was like, again, a cathartic break, but I've had a lot of slow adjustments where I've slowly ebbed, you know, those neural pathways in new directions because it's always happening. It's always happening. Right. So it's it's not like there's a starting and stopping point and you're just the way you are. We're always changing, you know, we're malleable creatures. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I mean, I think we've addressed this subject. Do you have any other thoughts for uh Amanda in particular in her situation, or, I mean, I think we've given her a lot to think about and we've given everybody in the audience a lot to think about as far as being part of this movement and what you can do. And, um, uh, no, I feel I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I think that, again, it's it all comes back down to, you know, and I think she did a good job is choosing those battles, you know, and that right. was her real that was her real query was like, well, did I do a good job choosing to just stand down? And it was and I I was like, my response was absolutely you did the right thing. I would have done the exact same thing. I would have right. been like, OK. I'm going to back away from this now and I'm going to regroup. And after I regroup, I'm going to make a decision on how to act because it's never good to be in a reactionary role. You always want to stop, think and act. I mean, and and we didn't get to start the episode this way, but speaking of not, you know, doing the right thing, I impulsively, you know, gouged my hand today, got this deep puncture wound. (laughs) And it was just, it was that classic thing. It was very reactionary. I was like, Oh, this needs to be done. I'm going to do this right now, regardless of what I'm wearing, what state of consciousness. 
place I'm in or whether I have gloves on. Yeah, super impulsive. Yeah. And it's a very reactionary move. And so I'm paying the price for it because it was, you know, probably a, a hospital offense. But, you know, the reality is I know what they're going to do because I've done this enough times. And so I did it all myself. But, you know, it's really an unfortunate experience, but it's it's there to remind me. That's the thing. And the reason it happened was because when you get careless, these things happen. You know, right, right. I've been busting my ass so long and so hard. And, and like even like I mentioned to you the past two days, I was doing heavy duty labor stuff with like power tools that are dangerous. And I was on it. I was so careful, so careful. Right. Then the day after I'd let my guard down because I, well, I'm not doing any hardcore labor today. I'm just going to go out and, right. oh, I can do that real fast, you know, and then you, you make Boom. that impulsive decision and you yeah. let your guard down. And I'm not saying we got to walk around like shell shocked, like shit's going to explode in our face. But at the same time, you know, that constant pursuance of self-awareness is something that can only right. lead us to greater things. And the, you know, taking a measured approach and always taking, you know, taking the time to think about things as well. Um, that just made me think about um, my attitude always from the beginning was I would um, sort of try and get into a gallery or get into a show. And if, if I saw the prejudice there, I was like, Okay. You know, I always had the attitude, if you don't want me, then I don't want you yes, as far totally. as, you know, galleries. If you don't get it, then I, I don't want to be a part of you. I'd rather do start my own thing for less than, than try. And I always felt like it was um, so demeaning to try and sit and beg someone to let me in yeah. when I know yeah. that the artwork's good and I know other people like it. It's like, you know, there's a certain level of self-respect you have to have to where, you you know, you, you know, if you don't want me, then fine. That's you're right. There's no harm, no foul. It's not your thing, but I'm not going to let you have me when it, time comes around when, sure. you, you know, the stuff is cool and popular and you want me back in, you know, yep. so. Yep. uh I, I I can totally relate to to that feeling she had and and well I, I did the same thing with know. my art degree I mean that's why I backed away from fine art and that it was really because of that I was like I could sit here and try to drive these A's you know and do the work they want me to do or I can keep doing what I'm doing and get bad grades because they can't hang with it right. or I can back away from it so you know what I'm never going to change them they're never going to get it right. so instead what I'm going to do is find a better route for myself and I did I yeah. was able to find you know approach really that was more suited to again my role what is right. my job you know yeah. and we're, we're discovering those jobs as we go along through life it's not again there's no destination points here it's you're just kind of oh well, god it turns out i'm kind of a manager you know right, oh god right. it turns out i'm kind of you know I, i'm a really good uh a co-pilot you know it turns right. out so on and so forth you discover these things about yourself it's up to you whether or not you you respond to them with open arms or not mm -hmm. you know if it turns out you're that way and that you don't like that that then you need to change that about yourself if it right. turns out that you do like it, then you should open your arms to it and say, well, fuck, if that's what I am, then I'm going to be the yeah. best one of those. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pardon, good pardon. Pardon me uh, with any of the Christians out there. I mean, no offense. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I think it's a good place to stop. We're at about yeah, an hour sure. right now. I wanted to also make a mention that, uh, that if you haven't heard the, the Skinner episode, it's really hilarious. And it's gotten, I think the fastest amount, we've already like 750 listens in five days, wow, which is really good fast. for us. And I think it's because he peed in the jar at the end, personally. But. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to hear him pee in the jar. No, that was great. <laughs> Skinner really. was amazing. No, it was hilarious. But yeah, thanks for the support, you guys. And um, uh, check it out if you haven't heard it, because it's really funny. Every, everyone I talked to that said they came up and loved the podcast i'm like did you hear the new episode with skinner you gotta hear it it's so funny <laughs> that was a fun one i had a really good time yeah on that one. We, we definitely gotta have him back on for sure um yeah he's a blast yeah so thank you it's taken off yeah thanks for ever, everybody sharing this because obviously we say yes, people thank, are doing it so that's awesome yes thank you amanda also um yeah thank you thank you for writing amanda and uh i i did want to say um uh, topic ideas are, are welcome for sure. You know, especially if we get a lot of people asking for one thing or which artists you'd like to see on the show. We'll see if we can get them on, and, you know, yeah. all that kind of interaction is great. We're totally into it and we want to, you're not bugging us. We want to hear from you. So, um, 
you know, whether it's in the comments yeah, we, section or well, and we try to get back to you guys as best as we can. I mean, I'm do I do a lot of the admin stuff, and so I'll always, you know, I try to message back on all the platforms that Chet and I use, and I'll always specify if it's me or you know if it's Chet that you Chet will specify. Right. You know, so you guys know who you're talking to, but I'm kind of the one trolling a lot of that. So we do our best to get around to all of those sites and make sure that we respond to people and engage and stuff with you, uh, because obviously we're interested in your feedback. Yes. So thank you for listening. Well, and, have, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm not, <laughs> you know, we're all like tripping and stumbling over each other. Um, well, it's because we have no plan. We're always just like right. rolling through it. I would like to put, I, w- I want to do one little self-promotion here. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys noticed, but I've been, I've posted on Facebook and I've had actually quite a few clients uh, line up for this and, and complete this now, but I'm offering land of enchantment tours and uh, it's, it's quoted as a mind altering journey with Mike Carell. I, I imagine that from listening to this podcast, you could understand what it might be like to be in my presence for you know multiple hours or days at a time uh it's definitely mind altering there's That's no question sure. about it chet's done it uh, on numerous occasions i've done this casually for quite some time but I, i'm offering it professionally i've done it with a few clients I actually have one coming up here on thursday so i'm super stoked but just so you guys know if you ever want to try to ask questions about that or line something up with me you can always hit me up at facebook.com forward slash nrg creations inc that's NRG Creations, I-N-C, and I'll put a link in there. But uh, I also offer a whole bunch of other services on top of that. And right now I'm offering uh, coupons, $100, $250, and $500 coupons to people that might be interested in purchasing uh, deposits basically towards future services, whether you want to gift those to other people or you want them for yourselves. Let's say you're, you're saving up for a land of enchantment tour and you want a three day thing and it's going to cost you, you know, $1,500. You could buy a $500 coupon and save yourself 15% on the total amount. I also do video production, manuscript editing and project consultation for Kickstarters and ventures, writers, filmmakers, yeah. fine artists, all he's, that stuff. He's so. great. He's, he really is great at all that. Uh, yeah, I guess managerial type stuff, but also with writing and, and he, you know, he's, he can, he's kind of a Jack of all trades. Uh, but just to specify the land of enchantment tour, it's, it's a, it's a tour of really cool parts of New Mexico. And it, and it, it is, it apt, it is absolutely beautiful. It is amazing. It's really, you know, um, Mike knows of all these incredible kind of spiritual landmarks and just really beautiful, crazy interesting places to go out in the middle of nowhere. It's really kind of a cool thing. So I just, I had to throw Thank my little, you. My little thing. That. It is. It's, yeah, ama- would you, it's would amazing you out other, there. Otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel like you're on another planet when you go out into the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. It's really incredible. It's really, really, really cool. Totally worth well, it. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Chet. Yeah. Chet's obviously had all kinds of experiences out here with me because we go back and forth from each other's places. So, but yeah, I've, I've had a variety of people out and I know all the great kind of places like Chet said. So I know some, you know, stuff that's in woods, stuff that's in desert, stuff with canyons and rivers. I know kind of all the different areas. So it's, it's fun. I take you around. I pick you up and drop you off at the airport. Um, you know, keep you company, take care of you. Can't if you want that kind of stuff, yeah, photography. And if you want fun. to get down with the spiritual stuff, you know, I, I'm always game for that as well. And uh, so, yeah, that's it. I also, I just put, po- just uh, since you're promoting yourself, I just po- posted some uh, new Death's Head minis in the store of Doom. Those are so badass. Yeah, and they glow in the dark. So they're, they're kind of cool. And they're on sale. So that's it. Nice. Thank you guys for all your support. We appreciate it. Chet and I are trying to keep the ships afloat here throughout a difficult financial season for both of us. So we appreciate your listening and your time and your energy. And if you feel like uh, getting involved in our endeavors, feel free to message us and get a hold of us. Nice. And please remember to review and rate if you can on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud and all that business. That totally helps. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. And and we'll talk to you next week. Farewell. Catch you next Wednesday.